Chris, I'm seeing you first on the screen. Give us that uh, that 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 elevator pitch of how amazing you are. <laughs> of how amazing I am. Wow. Um, yeah. Well, I'm CEO of uh, Still Media. I set this whole thing up about uh, 15 years ago, and yeah, I, I'm I'm super proud of what it's become. We've been championing the mobile games industry for yeah 16 plus years now, and uh, and the wider games industry. And yeah, I, I couldn't be proud of what we've we've achieved and the incredible team I've built, uh, or we've built uh, 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 around this business. So yeah, I just try and run things, really. That's what I do, <laughs> to try and keep it all going. Perfect. Keeps the trains running. Daniel. Hi there. I'm the editor of PocketGamer.biz, uh, and I work with our, our faithful Newshound team, uh, hoovering up what's new, uh, all the data, all the facts, all the moves, all the appointments, all the hires, uh, mergers and acquisitions and turning that into into raw, fun, easily digestible fact day in, day out for the site. Dave, tell us about yourself. Dave Bradley, I'm the COO of Steel Media and I've been working here uh, at the company on the editorial and marketing and event side of things since uh, 2016. Um, and I've been a, a, a journalist and editor 
for 25 years and again i started in the in the games world with a with a detour into um into film and tv um but games are a passion of mine and mobile games is particularly exciting and the events i actually started attending pocket gamer connects events uh before i was working for the company i came along to uh, as a as a civilian to see the uh, to to see the magic and uh, what can I say? Um, it's uh, it hooked me, and now I and now I attend every single one. Anyone who's ever been to one of the Pocket Gamer Connects events knows it's the jewel in the crown, the part of the steel media that gets out there and really engages with the the wider industry. But am I right in saying this was the biggest PGC London ever, guys? Yeah, it was. It, this was uh, over two thousand six hundred attendees, um, all, and that was kind of live uh, ticket holders across the two days. Yeah, biggest by by a bit of a margin actually. Um, biggest on pretty much every front. Probably had the most tracks as well of content, and certainly had the most meetings. I think. Uh, yeah, yeah, th- thousands of meetings, th- thirty-one different track topics across the stages and i think chris is it 1200 companies yeah it's over 1200 companies i mean what what i think is a special source about us and what i've always tried to 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 maintain is it's a cross-industry thing it's the whole ecosystem thing it's not just not just about a few of the top guys it's about bringing everybody from the student devs and the indie devs through the kind of publishers the triple a guys the investors service companies tool makers you know media we want to be a real slice of the whole industry um didn't we identify that 50 percent of the attendees at this event in london were from the uk which is gratifyingly international it means that half of the attendees who, who came to our conference uh in january traveled from overseas to be there and that's that's a testament i think to the, the thing that we've built one thing you said was yes big numbers but also big ideas big topics what struck you amongst the big ideas what stood out it's interesting over the years how we've kind of expanded beyond the mobile space as well. I know Pocket Gamer is synonymous with with mobile gaming, and there's, there's a clue in the name as well, which is obviously the first thing people see. But actually, we've introduced over the years PC and console. To your point, Peggy, as well about things that sort of stood out. I I noticed that you know you, you can see every year topics that that emerge, and maybe a couple of years ago everyone was talking about blockchain games and where that was going, and there was still a little bit of bit of that. It seemed to me whatever track I was on, people yeah. kept bringing up AI mm-hmm. as this year's yeah. hot topic. And um, so if I based on what I saw at Pocket Gamer Connects London 2023, I'm I'm kind of expecting the games industry to be all about AI this year because everyone everyone had a hot take on it uh, on whatever stage that we were on. In fact, we introduced a whole. We did. AI track, but um, to do that, but but still, even even on some of the more traditional kind of gaming tracks um, elsewhere, people were talking about AI. And- because we had thirty-one different kind of themed tracks, not all the massive tracks, but we cover everything. I mean, we cover everything from the from from the the, the artistry of games, the ideation, how you run your company, how you raise money, uh, to to a lot of the business issues. You know, like like how do you monetize? How do you grow? Grow your business? AI has just kind of come up quietly. I mean, you know, people have been talking about it, but it. It's coming quietly without any of that sort of furore in the same way. If the blockchain's had two years, I was raising crazy amounts of money, and, the, and, and AI is just coming and gone. Yeah, we're changing things right now, and and and, and already, whether it's it's people running sample um, ad campaign tests, where it's people creating graphics in game, where it's people creating, you know, a, a, a sort of even scripts and, and and content, or doing mock-ups or prototypes, even code checking code. So much. Uh, there's so many ways where AI is being experimented with and and, and tried, um, and you know, it, it even come down to ideation. There's a company called they've got an interesting angle because they use AI to cre- to basically create concepts and create ideas for your you know your, your, your game right at the start. So it's 
AI, like Dave said, it kind of, we had a dedicated track, but it, it came up on not every track, but it came up on a lot of different places as the thing that is changing uh, the games industry one way or another. The, the overall vibe, every time AI was mentioned, it was mentioned a heck of a lot in the chats that I was having. Everyone's very excited by the possibilities that allows, as, as regards sort of leveling up for developers of it from a small size. So there's a very big deal in, in employing more people to produce assets for games. It's, you know, it's not, it's a consideration that, that they have to take very, very carefully. And the feeling is that the giants, the big games makers, they've got the big studios, they can afford to churn out multiple products, multiple iterations of stuff. And the small guys, you know, really need to, 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 um, take it very, very carefully to avoid um, heading into trouble, uh, really, really early on. And they see AI, AI rather as this fantastic leveling opportunity for them to go in and, and be as powerful as the big guys with much, much smaller teams. Years and years ago, I went to a, a big development studio. I don't know whether I should name them or not. And they were finishing the sequel to their, their, their amazing game. And the guy was saying, we've had to win the game. And then you built it. <laughs> they were saying, he used to say to me that we've had to employ 150 extra artists in the, in the crush to finish this game. And he had this enormous room. And while he was talking, I was watching the guy over his shoulder and he was picking up a tree and he's putting it on a map. So he had a palette of trees and a landscape and he's mm. putting the trees on one by one. So for me, pressing a button in AI and it puts the trees on, brilliant. This guy wouldn't have had to employ 150 people and wouldn't have had to spend millions and, and, and sweat about whether his game was going to be finished in time. So for that, it's, 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 it's opening the doors. There's another interesting thing about the way that we might experience games in the future as well. Um, guy Gadney from Charisma AI um, was talking about how the, maybe we're reaching the end of traditional um, in-game conversation dialogue trees, for instance, because, uh, you know, I, and I love all that. I play a lot of role-playing games like, you know, Mass Effect and so on. But why do you need a, a tree to choose dialogue options if, 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 the, if the game can just speak English and, and, and respond to your, you know, with natural language? And, and you know, the, there's, there's options like that that are going to become increasingly easy to integrate. In now, this is interesting because I think the, the, the games industry despite being constantly driven forward by technology, can sometimes be a little shy when it comes to new tech. But as Daniel just uh, said, it's going to help the smaller studios find those efficiencies. You know, in, in the podcast, we've just spoken to a whole bunch of companies out there who are using AI and automation um, for things like customer support, for quality assurance, you know, for for really making sure that your, your player journey is as flawless as possible without necessarily having to outsource your, you know, your, your community management without having to go to the third parties. So I think it's going to be within the application. It's where it's used. I think you, we, we are going to see some major changes. The way I see AI is it's a just a whole new tool set. Uh, and maybe it's democratizing. It might be to a degree. And, and, and maybe it enables better games or deeper games or bigger worlds. But it's just a new tool set to play with. I want to pick up on that thought because you talk about it being... Um, a whole new tool set. And I was hearing discussions also in, in some of the, you know, behind the scenes discussions, just like chatting with people saying, well, now we need a whole new skill set as well. And it brings back for a lot of people, they were very excited because then it's not necessarily um, the hard skills, but the soft skills come back now too. It's going to be about not just understanding the tools, but co-creating with the tools. You don't want them just to go off, you know, to Daniel's point. You want them to assist with that process. Go ahead, move the trees over, but don't 
come up with the whole concept. That's going to be what everyone was saying, even in your interview with Help Shift, Brian, you know, let the people make their games, let the tools assist. Well, you still need ideas and you still need creation. You still need, I mean, it's going to be about content's going to be easier to create volume of it, but it's going to be much more about what you don't include and what you kind of throw away and what you've choices you the choices you make i think going forward the tool itself is fascinating for all other things because what it's great at is analyzing data very quickly in a way that we can understand so for instance if you have if you're running a game that has you know it's live ops and you have millions of players and you're getting loads of different feedback from them and you know and and, and customer comments in loads of different form reading through all of those and deciding what your actions and outcomes are is very hard but actually uh, an ai can do that very quickly so giving 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 the ai loads of data of customer feedback and going going what are people thinking about our game and having it summarized in three sentences is actually very actionable and very easy and not taking anyone's job. It's just speeding up kind of the process. And I, and I love that stuff about it. Just anecdotally, by the way, I know we've all played with things like chat GPT. I got told off by chat GPT for the first time yesterday. I, uh, I, I asked it to predict the outcome of a nuclear war given current nation stockpiles of weapons. Oh, nice. and it told me it was an irresponsible oh. question and that I, <laughs> I, I shouldn't be asking oh, questions like that. I should instead be, um, uh, turning my attention to the role of peace. You have seen the film so, Terminator. Uh, so I, which, which I was going to say, which is by the way, what I'd exactly what I would expect. <laughs> <Terminator to say. laughs> Don't you worry about that. That could never happen. <laughs> on, the, on the game creation side of stuff, I just think that the humans are going to have to work, work harder. I think there's a, there is a risk in inverted commas that if AI points everyone in the same direction, you're going to have to go in a slightly different direction to stand out. So I think there is, there is, there is, um, there is opportunity there for humans to, to, to really kind of uh, to still drive this forward and to, uh, to make a difference. You know, spotting when the AI is saying, oh, trust me, you just need to do this. And you've been able to say, I think you're telling this to everyone. I think everyone's going to do that. So therefore, I'm going to be original and I'm going to do something different. So there, there, is, there, there is certainly still plenty of, plenty of human input in there. Well, it's interesting. It's interesting because it's it's only once the tools get into the hands of the general population that that they figure out what they're going to do with it. You know, it's only once these tools are are out there that we can really get a sense: will everybody become their own game creator? Yeah. Oh, it's an interesting question, isn't it? I mean, I, I uh, it, it, the, the games industry is bigger than it's ever been, and there's probably more. Well, there's definitely more games being made than ever before because you've got so many things like hyper casual stuff. But the appetite for games doesn't seem to be like abating. So I, I do wonder if, uh, at what point we get to saturation point. But then there are also mobile games, you know, like Clash of Clans or Clash Royale or, you know, Honor of Kings or even Candy Crush and stuff like that. I've been around for a decade now and, and still are getting a massive audience kind of playing them. And, and, and people are still trying, you know, one of the big problems in mobile is trying to get launch a new game even you know even the the, the big guys struggle to get that's why there's so much consolidation another topic we had at the at the event of and, and which is predicted to continue even though people think that investment money might dry up a little bit they're also slow a little bit rather than dry up the consolidation's just going to keep going on because people launching a new idea and a new game in is so hard to get traction in mobile most of these games now are are service games not all of them but a lot of them are games as a service so fortnite's still gonna be there rolling on and and PUBG and, you know, and uh, on the console side and FIFA, all these things are still going to be going on. So trying to get in and get attention away from them as well as to, to new game is, is a challenge. No, no, Chris, to your point, I think there definitely is a discovery crisis, particularly since, you know, in the aftermath of 
the changes to IDFA and you know and, and Apple's ATT and, and and so on actually standing out and advertising your game and it is hard it was always the cost of user acquisition was was growing the whole time anyway and so it was hard for, for smaller companies to to compete with the you know with the bigger companies but now it's got even harder for games companies to target individuals i think we'll see one again the topics that i saw on stage were things like it we'll see hyper casual games companies struggling because one of their models was just constantly promoting the next the next game to, to people and so on and that's becoming harder um you know user acquisition is harder and 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 i think we're still kind of yet to see how that discovery crisis is one of the things that at the show that i was interested in was the number of tracks that were about sort of building community uh in an established game sustaining your game you know coming from a world where um you know uh, you would release the game and then you would kill it, then you'd release a sequel, then you'd kill it. I find it fascinating these days that, that, that people are all about um, keeping a game going, keeping with events, with special offers, with, with um, you know, uh, uh, seasonal stuff happening within the game, creating something that can last 10, 12, 15 years. I think, it, I think it's incredible. And you, you, suddenly a game is, is, isn't, isn't so much like a movie as, as like something like EastEnders or something. You could just rumble on forever as long as you keep it fresh. Looking after the game becomes about keeping your audience happy and, and keeping them coming back. And then, you know, what, what, what greater achievement is there than having an audience that absolutely loves, loves you know, what, what it is that you're making? So Mobile, it's just it's with you all the time. So I'm on a train. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm in the bathroom. I'm just want a break for five minutes during work to a little mini reward rather than eating get again a snack at home. So, like... Yeah, I, I don't know. It's, it's. I think that's really uh, the amazing things. It's kind of changed how we think about games a bit as well, and 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 the, the session lengths. You're playing for ten. You know, be playing a game ten years. You, only, you might only play like five minutes, ten minutes. You know, every other day or something. But you, you know, that's all you need to keep you kind of uh, keep you going with it. That's that's part of the power of this, Chris. You know, it's the fact that it's in everybody's pocket. It's there alongside the social media channels. It's there alongside YouTube, Spotify, etc. You know, it, it's kind of taken away a lot of the stigma. You know, back when some of us, maybe all of us, uh, although I won't speak for you, Peggy, um, wanted to play a game, you had to have a chunk of hardware in your house that played games. And, you know, games are now ubiquitous. Anything with a screen and some processing power, the chances are there are games on there and that games will be the most popular type of content. Brian, to your point there, absolutely. And I think cloud gaming is another topic that, that surfaces at Pocket Gamer Connects. And uh, absolutely, we're seeing a, the fact that you can um, effectively outsource the processing of the game to a remote server and it comes straight to you. It means everything is now a gaming device, absolutely. And I, I think we're seeing more of that. I mean, it's, it's changed the way I consume games on my xbox the fact that i can dive in and sample a game instantly on, on you know cloud gaming but the fact that now you know smart tvs can be gaming devices um you know it, you know the fact that you can play high fidelity console games on your mobile phone because it's, it's using a cloud service to to render the game is, is an extraordinary advance over the last couple of years the interesting thing is how where games and mobile games or other games hit the wider world like so we had netflix obviously of coming to games they were there speaking and and, and talking they bought game studios they're leasing into that but we also had like United Airlines were there, you know, giving a talk, a thing about how they they see games and how that's part of their engagement with with their you know their their consumers. That's something to keep them entertained on the flight and 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 also to touch base them when they come off the flight and and, and keep that relationship with them. And that that idea about games becoming the most popular thing on different platforms and and, and sort of co-opting other platforms is is absolutely true. And, and, and to your point, I've just written an article actually for you, Daniel, um, hey. uh, that you have, which is looking at 
what the actual games companies are saying. And there was this fantastic quote where it was like, if you launch a game, you launch it mobile first, and then mm. you take it to the other platforms because that allows you to test your concept, you get your creatives right, all the rest of it. But mobile first for games, that really is a first. Interesting. We agree on the trends here. You know, AI was exciting, but let's talk about the, the wow moment at the show. Just seeing the crowd around the building. <laughs> uh, I'm sure, I'm sure security wouldn't agree with me, but it was, it was just fantastic. The, the, the turnout was amazing. I mean, I find, just find the meeting area at the show, you know, there's, there's so many tables and they look like a sea of tables when they're empty. You know, you just think, well, we're never going to fill this. And the amount of, they were, they were, they were packed all day, every day, people discussing, people showing games, people doing deals, you know, there's this kind of half a football pitch area of, of, of transaction and handshaking going on. So I, I can only imagine the amount of, the amount of money that changed hands, the amount of, uh, the, the amount of deals that were done, because yeah, that meeting area, that was, that was something else. We are trying to find ways to get some metrics around that. So we're asking some people, we're trying to apply what we know and trying to, it's very hard because no one's going to give us all their term sheets and the deals they've signed or whatever. But we think the num the, the volume of kind of deals that are started or engaging is, is going to, based on the, what we've had back from very small sample size, admittedly, is easily going to be in the hundreds of millions. Referencing the kind of, the spirit of the event again. I think it is, you know, it is important to know how how much it's grown as well. When we um, when the when the event started, we were looking at maybe five or six hundred people in London, and now we're on um, you know two thousand more people than that. So the the, the event has has certainly uh, has certainly grown in in you know less than ten years. It started out with its event in London in in, in twenty fourteen, its its first event, but we now run events in Helsinki, in Hong Kong, in Jordan. We've done a load of work in the Middle East in the last 12 months. Um, uh, and we will again this year. You know, we've run events uh, in in uh, in Bangalore. We've run events in America and Canada. And you see that a lot of that growth and the events has come from people traveling to be part of, part of the events. And it has a it has a real international feel um, and looks not just at the local games industry, but the global games industry. And, of course, having just come out of London um, and PGC London, we're now looking to take the roadshow back on the road. We're off to Seattle in a couple of months, a few months' time, which will be uh, be another you know exciting opportunity to do what we do on the other side. Any of the way United. to get a little peek into that, Dave, Chris, Daniel? What's what's coming? Interesting tracks. We'll be leaning more into AI. We will look at what's the local issues there as well. I mean, that, that one of the things we're working on at the moment, we haven't got quite finalised how we're doing it, is, but there's, there's been a lot of layoffs. You know, despite the general positivity in the industry tech as a whole as as you know just i think in a week like forty six thousand people just lost their jobs or were about to lose their jobs over a, over a period from some of the big companies so we want to see what we can do there and, and seattle's you know there's a lot of exciting new opportunities but there's also people that need help so we want to we, we're going to kind of find some way to kind of support that we've got a few ideas we're knocking around another big thing vr we where's where we're going with that this year this is it, quietly people are making some decent money in vr gaming now and and whisper is you know you've just had some new hardware out you know playstation's coming going to come out psvr 2 is coming out soon and and the the the, the whisper is that that the apple might finally be throwing their um their hat you know their visor into the ring in this latest year could be indeed and once again revolutionize gaming well i do want to say that if we want to look into the future I'll do a little bit of a shameless plug for you because you're all too, <laughs> all too modest to do it. It will be 
in Seattle. That will be the next chapter to this. Uh, well, between now and PGC Seattle, we're also going to be hosting a, an evening event in uh, San Francisco during GDC. We've got the the Mobile Games Awards that we do every year, which we'll be hosting in London at BAFTA 195 Piccadilly in uh, April. And then after Seattle, we'll be taking the whole Pocket Gamer Connects Roadshow to Toronto and then Helsinki and then uh, back to the Middle East with Jordan again. So um, that's, there's plenty li- lined up there. Um, the, we do do a lot of travel. And in fact, we, we, take the, we, we do take the, the work on the road and we're mindful of the environmental impact on that. And so we've actually partnered this year with Games Forest to, um, to encourage the games industry to, um, to do what they can to, to reduce the impact on the environment and protect um, forests around the world. There's actually a pocket game of forest in Peru that we've um, donated some money towards and that we're encouraging um, our attendees to make donations to. And uh, yeah, as part of the Games Forest Club that we're, that we're in now through our uh, events, we're, we're encouraging our attendees to do what they can to offset their environmental impact and, uh, and be mindful of ecological factors. So yeah, so look, have a look at um, gamesforest.club or via um, the Pocket Gamer Connects website, you can see ways to, um, to, to donate to, to that charity um, to, um, to offset some of the, the, the travel impacts of, of the event. At this last event and going forward, and Brian, you'll be there too, um, you know, going there with videographers doing video podcasts on site. It's one thing, of course, it's part of a sponsor package, but mm-hmm. I took us sort of out onto the floor and picked up on some great stories, including your Indies winner, uh, one of the Indies winners. So, um, you know, got the vibe, got some great stories that we'll also be bringing to the podcast series as well. So I just like to say thanks for such a lively conversation, really sharing. And as you said, Chris, you're getting a little soppy. I feel like I'm part of a tribe. I think you've also told us. You are part, I am of, tribe, part of definitely. a tribe. There you go. Now, what can be better than that? And we are back after that segment. Let me move us on to Daniel Helmhold, VP of Growth, Head of Marketing at Big Fish Games. He tells us all about brand how to build one, how to build one to last, more importantly, how to build one and see the impact on the bottom line. Take it away, Daniel. It was meant to be. I'm looking for you. I'm thinking, man, I want to talk to Big Fish Games. Found you. Amazing. But what's really cool is what you do there. So tell me, in your own words, what you're doing at Big Fish Games. Yeah, so my name is Daniel. Uh, I'm Big Fish's VP of Marketing. Uh, I head up growth at the organization. I've been there for about a year and a half. And uh, my goal is to try and find ways to grow and scale our games, try and launch new games successfully. And really at the highest level, try and maximize the marketability of all games that we develop, publish, and release. But you do something even cooler because you are the personification of brand formers. You're the first person I have found who doesn't just talk about it being combined that's your job now, right? It is my job, you know, and I think we've got some very unique schools of thought around brand versus performance. Uh, you know, mobile gaming has innovated on the performance side so incredibly well. It's, it's driven a lot of the innovation technically and operationally around all of mobile. And at times it's easy to then leave brand behind as you get so focused on performance. And so a lot of my job is finding a way to remember that without building strong brands, the ability to market through performance marketing is going to be greatly degraded. And so I think a lot of our industry is recognizing this now as it gets harder 
harder and harder to target the users you want. The need to be able to build a brand that resonates with a broader set of players that aligns with that broader targeting is more important than ever. And you're seeing games who are recognizing the need to create stronger characters and interesting tones within their game that have marketing that, that, that really grab a, a consumer's attention and bring them in. And so our orientation is marketability doesn't start you know, two months before you launch a game. It starts very early on with the concepting of a game and recognizing that if you don't bake in strong marketability and a strong brand from day one, by the time you get to launch, the things that you're going to want to change based on the data feedback loop are far too great to be able to execute at that time and way more expensive than had you set down the right path from, from, from step one. What are the elements of marketability beyond the narrative that's going to really hook us? Yeah, I mean, you can break, like, like in a lot of planning and strategy, you can break things down in their component pieces. So brand is this kind of large kind of element that's hard to kind of define. And so if you start to break it down into its component pieces, it starts to feel a little bit more accessible. So you can look at the things like your art style, you can look at your character base, you can look at your environments, you can look at the tone of your game, you know, is, is it dark or is it light? Is it playful? Is it comedic? Uh, and you start to break these individual elements down and you recognize that together they make a brand, but in each one, you can then start to optimize against each of those to recognize how they come together to create something cohesive, but also, you know, are, are something that resonates with your users in each different element. And so we recognize that before there's a piece of software, we can go out and we can optimize and test against each of those. And then as our, our PowerPoint deck turns into an actual piece of software, then we have something we can put in front of consumers and continually check with them and, and recognize that, that play testing isn't just to say, is the game fun? It's to say, hey, what if we made this game? Now here's the game. Does what you just play align with what you just saw in the marketing materials? And we think more cohesively about how brand and, mar and, and development work together to build a game together, not development builds and then marketing comes in afterwards. You have the advantage of understanding really the player types that it resonates with because they're resonating with your brand as well. So you're getting to narrow a little bit of that targeting without, hey, you know, just throwing on the wall and seeing what sticks. That's the hope. You know, I think we've all gotten a little spoiled by the granularity of targeting available to us in mobile marketing over the last 10 years. It's been fantastic. The granularity of targeting, of reporting, of attribution. These were amazing, amazing boons to us. Well, those are getting harder and harder. So while the targeting is still very strong, as it gets more difficult to find a specific user in a specific instance, that brand better be able to speak to more than one person effectively. So yes, we can segment and we can target them with a message that compels them, but it also drives us to come up with an overall more compelling message for when we don't have that targeting. We have to be able to do effectively more so uh, as, as additional privacy regulation and other challenges come into our ability to go out and find a very specific user. Now you're doing this at Big Fish Games. Can you give me a little bit of an example of um yeah, track record, success to date, something you're really proud of. It's like, hey, man, we're nailing our brand identity. Yeah, I mean, our, right now, the game that we're most focused on is Evermerge. Evermerge has been out for about two years. It is a merge game. Um, it is it is one of the, the innovators in merge, we believe. And what it's been able to do effectively is build a cast of characters that really resonates. We won, you know, female game character of the year through a Google, uh, I guess it was last year. And we think that was because because we were able to create a very strong female character that had high marketability, relatability, and it allowed us to create something that not only was compelling from a strong character perspective, but we knew players would actually interact with and consumers would interact with in terms of considering whether to play the game. And so much of 
strong marketing comes down to strong character development and strong character development these days comes down to strong split testing. So we had a character, we split test, not just the version of the character, but how we presented her in terms of trying to find ways to make her look like a and, and appear as a more empowered female character in our game. And we think that really resonated well and, and, and it's something that we can be proud of and have really strong performance. And you asked the users about, you asked the players as well. Absolutely. I mean, this came from feedback from our players, showing them different versions of this character. And, and, and the best way to test is if you can go two ways. One, qualitatively asking them, do you like this? Do you like this? And then doing a split test within user acquisition and see there's what users want to say they want. And then there's also what they actually choose to engage with when put into the wild. And you really want to be able to assess both of them because they can give you unique, discrete insights into that. Now you're doing this at Big Fish Games and you have a great name, right? A lot of companies, they're sort of on the cusp of having a name. It's not a thing for a garage indie, but it is something for mid-growing companies. Yeah. What are the signs for a game studio that's like, hey, you know what? We have to double down and think about our brand. I think there, there's two brands that you're working with. One is your corporate brand, and that is more of a B2B asset and allows you to work with new partners and do publishing. And that that is important. Consumers don't care so much about who's making the game. They care about the game brand. And for a young, for a small or an up and coming developer, focusing on that game brand is what's important. And I think within game development, there is a designer, there is an art director who is the de facto head of the brand until you have a brand marketing team at a certain level of scale. And that makes total sense. The, the biggest challenge is that person saying, I recognize that I have a vision for this game, but I also need to make sure there's a market for this game. And I will challenge my vision for the game by validating that the market actually aligns with my vision and being able to be humble enough to say, if I get feedback from the market, am I willing to change my vision so that I can have the chance at scaling my game to a real hit? And that is the challenge because creative people, creative directors, it's hard enough to get performance creatives, let alone the exact game. What is your advice for that? Because that must be what you're doing in your team, correct? It is. I mean, what we try and do is recognize that creative people need to be creative. And so what you do when you want to point people in a direction that's informed by data is you want to draw a box and say, what we need is people... We're going to define this box based on our insights about market, based on our segmentation, and based on our knowledge of what we believe is a scalable approach. So here's that box. Now, please go be creative within that space. And by directing creativity at a space that is pre-validated as having business opportunity, you let creative still do what they're great at, but it doesn't. it's a much more productive use of everyone's time because you know you're already playing in the right area. It's saying you allow people to be creative within the confines of what tells you is a commercial success. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, let's let one of the most difficult things in gaming is to take the business side and the marketing side and the creative side and bring them together to find something that is quantitatively and creatively successful. And the number one way to do that is through strong communication. And as simple as that sounds, it's incredibly difficult. And those difficulties come from both sides. It comes from the marketing side, asking too much and not recognizing how difficult it is to make a game. And it comes from the game making side, not recognizing how important marketability is to the future success of their game. And that's where those conversations need to happen early and often. What's the hardest advice you've ever had to take or give? Uh, wow, that's an interesting question. Um, I think for me, it's been the need to be to have to have humility and respecting that others are 
doing a job that's really difficult as well. As a non-technical person, I don't think I always recognize just how difficult it is to make a game. And I've worked with the GM who helped to educate me on just how hard what they were doing was. And, and, it, and it forced me to take a step back and realize that I need to recognize that what they're doing is as hard or harder than what I'm doing. And if I can get them to recognize the same thing about me, we will work a lot better together. It's also, as you said, last question. I've read a lot of literature that talks about the impact of brand on uplift for a lot of different verticals, not just gaming. We talked about brand. What are you seeing or what can you say to someone who might be on the fence about this, about what the results are going to be, what they're going to see? Can you share some of that? Even the, even the range that makes it worth the effort. Well, I'd say first off, brand is this nebulous concept that when thought of in the abstract really doesn't resonate down to the impact. So put aside this whole this whole intimidating concept of brand that has a decades of, of, of weight and baggage attached to it and think of it simply as this. When you're trying to acquire users, you're trying to get the lowest CPI possible. If brand can give you a 30% uplift in your conversion rate and that can decrease your CPI by 30%, then that is not just going to allow you to spend 30% more. That's going to allow you to potentially spend two, three X more because that change in the formula means that your game only needs a 30% less LTV to return positive return on those users. So the, the, the idea of brand can be put over here. Let's just talk about making better assets that resonate with users, that make users cheaper, that let us scale your game more and more. And I, my hope is that that resonates more than kind of the, the lofty ideal of, of brand in the abstract. I would agree. You've demystified it. Very well done, Daniel. I want to thank you for taking the time and above all for sharing a playbook that other publishers can follow. Thanks again. Thank you so much. It's been great. This show is all about how to do your job better, how to make an amazing game, how to market it. And you have a say. So if you have a story or know someone we need to shine a light on, then we would love to hear from you. We want to hear from you. We want to reflect the reality of the mobile games market in all its wonderful complexity and strangeness. So if you have any suggestions for us, if you have any feedback for us, you can always get in touch. You can email us at podcast at pocketgamer.biz. You can find us on Twitter at PGBiz. And you can reach out to us through the pocketgamer.biz website. If you're interested in listening to all of our podcasts, you can find them at pocketgamer.biz forward slash podcast. And we would love to hear your thoughts on future shows. And we've got you covered on all the major platforms. So subscribe to the audio podcast, as Brian said. Look for us on YouTube. If you want to read it, hey, you can do that too, because we have a companion post for you as well on the pocketgamer.biz website. Tune in again for the next edition of the pocketgamer.biz podcast and we look forward to speaking to you in the near future. Until then, I'm Brian Baglow. I'm Peggy Ann Saltz and that's a wrap until next week. Yeah.